0: Crusher
1: Cast. What's up, family? This is Joe B. from Crusher Cast, the very first episode of Topic Cast, wherein we are going to, on the regular, once a month, middle of the month, we're going to get together. Uh, I'm going to assemble my... My, my, my legion of doom here, and uh, we'll have, bring some people in from different backgrounds, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, different careers, um, and we're gonna pick one topic and we're gonna talk about it. Um, and yeah, we'll just see where this goes. This will be the first one, so it might be a train wreck, but uh, I ain't scared if you ain't. So, um, like I said, tonight's topic is fear. I'm just going to start with the definition, so we're all kind of on the same, we're leveling the playing field here. Webster's calls fear an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Alternatives are anxious concern, profound reverence and awe, especially toward God, or Reason for alarm. Some synonyms for this word. Fear, dread, fright, alarm, panic, terror, trepidation. Some of the origins of the word fear. uh, Let's see. From the Old English, fair. Calamity, sudden danger, peril, sudden attack. uh, Proto-Germanic, whatever the heck that is. Faraas, which means danger. Source also of Old Saxon far, ambush. Uh, let's see. State of being afraid, uneasiness caused by possible danger. And that was developed in the late 12th century. Uh, the common, we started somewhere along the line associating it with this reverence for God, fear equaling this reverence for God. Um, and it's from what I, the sources I, I have looked into, they said that, uh, like the phrase, to put the fear of God into someone, intimidate, cause to cower. Um, that came around, around eight the late 1800s. So fear has kind of been, had a bunch of different, tag words or names or whatever you want to call them but fear has been a part of us since uh, for all time we it, it's it's a part of us Some some people believe that it, it's it's one of our God-given instincts is fear to be afraid like if the caveman wasn't afraid we wouldn't be here because he would have gotten eaten by by a saber-toothed tiger so some fear is healthy. So anyway, I've rambled enough here in the beginning. I want to introduce my guests. Um, I've got Sheila Reed, Liz Drew, and James Wade um, joining me. Uh, like for like to go around and you guys just introduce yourselves and uh, kind of tell who you are, and what you're up to, and I'll give you guys time at the end for some shameless plugs and stuff like that. But uh, James, how about you? You want to start for us?
0: Sure. My name is James Wade. I'm the uh, director of mental health programming in 12 facilities across the state of Missouri. I'm also a mental health consultant, and I am provisionally licensed as a professional counselor. I work a lot with you know, clients, of course, uh, residents as we call them, <laughs> and also with staff and administration on how to provide the best possible mental health programming that we can to assist folks to get back on their feet and reintegrate back into the community and so this is a great topic because we work with a lot of fear and i of course i have a a history of fear myself so i'm looking forward to the discussion
1: right on don't uh aren't you part of a podcast too i think
0: yeah that's funny you mentioned that i am part of a podcast as well i'm the co-host of the cerebral entertainment podcast and, of course, with that is you can find that on the Cerebral Entertainment Network. That's on all your podcast, podcast streamers that are uh, out there in the interwebs. So, yeah, be sure to look that up. We have a good time. Cool. Thanks, James. What about you, Sheila?
2: Yeah, hey. Um, I'm, my name is Sheila, and I am, um, I'm actually a social worker. I am licensed in social work and an energy worker and guide. And I have been doing... Social work in the child welfare system for about over 20 years in Illinois, and um, so, my seen my share of this and that as well. And um, and over uh, approximately about the last five years, I've gotten way uh, more into my own personal stuff with um, using energy healing and guidance and coaching to help people and um, and to do a bit of that on the side for myself, not just for myself but for others as well. So. Mm -hmm. using a lot of the same stuff to, to work there. Cool. Well, thank you. What
1: about you, Liz?
3: Um, My name is Liz Drew and I own a gym in Troy, Missouri, Um, retired horse trainer and retired boxer. So I've spent a good portion of my life dealing with the physiological response to fear and how to overcome it. Um, And currently um i'm in a recovery program and hopefully am helping some other people along the way um and just really glad to be here and glad to meet you guys
0: thanks liz well i'm sorry uh, did did she say she was a retired boxer is that yes is that that's awesome okay i just had to make sure <laughs> i didn't want to go any further without clarifying <laughs> <laughs> that's our resident
1: You're badass james <laughs> i love it <laughs> um so that being said, I'm going to kind of start with you, Liz. Um, I know <clears throat> the whole world is dealing with this COVID thing right now. And I know you had to shut the gym down a little bit. And I know that there was had to be some fear associated with that. I mean, that's your livelihood. And that's, that's what you've known for so long. And um, can you talk about that a little bit?
3: I was terrified. Um, I remember calling a friend, I think on March 20th, I closed on March 18th and um, just put the padlock on the door and dissolved into tears and not a crier, um, but not knowing what was going to happen if I was financially going to be able to keep the gym open. And I feel like I get paid obviously, but I feel like I'm providing a service as well. That's my gym provides a service. Um, I'm kind of a bartender with, you know, all of my members come in and have things that they want to talk about. And um, so I I just, I really didn't know. And I kind of on the 20th, I let it grip me and I'm sitting here in the house by myself. Just what am I going to do? Um, And then I started meditating a lot I started reading a lot and I decided that first of all, I couldn't not decide that I wanted to do it. That was what fear was telling me. It's just say, you don't really care and whatever happens is gonna happen. That's a cop out. So I first had to say, I want to reopen the gym. And then I had to take all the steps necessary, the PPP loan, the talking to my landlord who was merciful. And so that, and and everything has worked out beautifully. Hopefully they don't shut me down again, but if they do, you know what? First, the first thing that I had to deal with was the fear of saying, I want this because once I commit to wanting it, then I can lose. And that's, that's, what's terrifying is failing so that was all about fear of failure, but a lot of meditating and a lot of talking to, I have some really good friends and resources.
1: Yeah. Yeah. James, did you see it in your, in your field?
0: Was it present? There has been a lot of fear in the mental health field for sure, especially working in facilities where we have a lot of residents who are closed up, you know, and they already feel kind of isolated oftentimes from society. And so if you are watching the 24-hour news cycle at all, get ready because you're going to be impacted by fear because the news doesn't, they don't make money by bringing good news to us most of the time, right? right? It's, it's mostly, right. it's perpetuated by fear in one fashion or another. And then we've had to see some changes in the facilities, you know, via you know, social distancing and wearing masks and just all the, all the different interventions put in place because of this COVID And there has been a lot of fear, not just from uh, the the residents that we serve, but also the staff and and management, because you just don't know what's going to happen. And we've been fortunate so far, but there have been some facilities in the state of Missouri and across the country, of course, where uh, the virus has gotten in. And once it, has it is spread and that in and of itself has caused everyone more fear because no one wants to be that facility yeah. um the, you know you get close to these folks and to see you know people sick and, and suffering is obviously there is utility in that fear but it's also you know it's it's causing a lot of anxiety and and it just the gamut of emotions anger frustration you name it and it's all based off of that initial fear that that a lot of people have been dealing with so yeah, it has been a part of our lives now for a while. Yeah, yeah. I like the way you said the utility
1: of it. I mean, how <clears throat> there's that line between, well, just like I said about the caveman and the saber tooth. I mean, there's a there's a reasonable amount of fear that will serve us. You know what I mean? In the long run, you know, uh, Sheila, have you seen it in your in your field?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, not just similar to what you said, James, um, and, and even Liz with, with, it's everybody that we come in contact with, um, and ourselves, especially with this particular situation. Um, it's really, it's really, from the energy perspective, I'm, I've seen it be something that has scratched down deep into some very, very deep fears. So on the surface, we're dealing with the COVID situation and this is out here where we can we can see it and and make plans about it if we can once we grasp what it is but but the underlying parts of this particular fear is very deep and um and and it goes back not just individually but for for all of us as a group as a collective so um this is really a time for a lot of healing um and opportunity once we can work through the fear part and so um but, but it's it's definitely been an eye-opener. And um, agency-wise, me seeing a large agency from a state perspective um, struggle is pretty scary, you know, because I think a lot of people rely on government or agencies to take care of them. And then when they see that those same agencies are struggling themselves with their employees are scared, the leadership is unsure, um, you know, that, that that just feeds all of it, and then we get the news <laughs> that seems to just put the cherry on the top, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's it's been everywhere.
1: Yeah, I personally i i I've taken a sometimes unpopular approach to what's going on. Is I just I've turned the news off and I walk mm-hmm. away from conversations about it. Um, yes. I take whatever necessary means to protect myself and the ones I care about. Um, but you know, it's, I believe that whatever I give energy to, whether that's a fear or whatever is going to get bigger. And I, I've got dear friends who are just absolutely paralyzed with fear mm-hmm. about this. I mean, their whole lives and just, I mean, they, they walk out and even when they leave their house, they're just paralyzed, you know, and, um, I I personally don't want to live that way, you know. Um so what the way I handle it aside um Liz, do you think that there's a uh a, a healthy way to handle the media hitting us, bombarding us um in those conversations? I mean, we we can't just unfriend everybody in our life, you know. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I do believe, I personally, I limit myself Um, during quarantine. I watched a certain program in the morning and then a little bit at night. And um, so I wasn't overwhelmed with it. Um, I truly believe that it's your perspective. Yes, these are the scientific facts. Yes, this is reality. I have to accept reality. However my perspective, the way I look at reality, how I allow it to influence me internally and externally in how I live my life, that is under my control. Um, and to me, being a control freak, that's where the fear comes in of losing control, uncertainty. I ha- I absolutely hate it. Um, however, when I realize that me fighting what is reality and me fighting what is uncertainty is only going to make me suffer more than hopefully I wise up and do differently. Accept um, reality, however, also have the confidence that I can survive whatever it is put in front of me. And confidence comes from experience. And I have a lot of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, James, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, you practice some meditation and stuff like that or um have delved into that. I know for me, when I step out the door, it's almost like I got to put on my armor, but it's like an internal thing. I, I get my mind right. I do some meditation. I do some reading. I get, I get right with me. And then when I step out into the world, it's a little easier to just let let the the stuff slide off my back, whatever's going on around me. It's almost like I, I've got a little protective shell around me. Do you find that, do you use meditation
0: similarly or? Yeah, I think so. I think mindfulness practice helps me to really delve into the inner workings of me, right? Who I am. I have to you know, kind of quiet the mind so that I can really see what it is that I need to focus on. A thing about fear also is that it's so contagious, it's so contagious. You know, you can see that in society and you can see it in society at the macro level or in small groups. When someone is afraid, a lot of people pick up on that. And now that person, the the other people around that person is experiencing that fear as well. And I try to be mindful that I don't want to be an influence of fear. Mm. I want to be an influence of calm and of strength not that fear once again doesn't have its utility you know should people be afraid of a virus or or of economic collapse or things like that i think there's still some usefulness and some benefit in in having some fear based on the notion that yes this virus if it doesn't affect me very negatively it could affect someone else that i'm around and so i try to be mindful of that because i i do i'm kind of an extremist right I'm, I'm all or nothing. I'm either really afraid of something or I just, you know, tend to throw caution to the wind and mindfulness helps me to kind of balance myself. It helps me to really take some introspection and, and think about others, uh, by, by taking care of myself and letting that self project out to those people around me. And that's, that's really how I'm using mindfulness right now it is really just to try to be the best projection that I can to other people. Nice. Nice. Um, and Sheila, I know you and
1: I have talked a lot about the energies and about how we can <laughs> we can impact, just not even saying a word, just just being a certain way and thinking and feeling a certain way. Do you have some input on that?
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just what all of you have spoken about is, is extremely important and, and it starts with ourselves um, is the best place to start um, if that's taking care of yourself before you walk out the door because you know that it's, you know, that you're going to be triggered by something, um, then then by all means, make sure that you do that. Um, sometimes people aren't as prepared. Um, you, you think you're starting out on a good foot and you get out there and all of a sudden you're in a mass crowd of people that feels really awful. And, you know, so we have to be practicing ways to be prepared for the, the chaos of what that feels like. And the, and the more we can be able to bring ourselves into center and, and ground and just kind of be, you know, be still, even in the midst of that, um, then then we will be better off in dealing with the fears that come up like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I do the the meditation things. I, this, this actually presented an opportunity that I've been doing meditation groups in person. And, um, with this, we have to stop doing that in person. And I thought, Oh, what are we going to do? And, we ended up actually doing things on, on Skype by meditation and doing these things has actually been absolutely beautiful. And more people have, have been able to, to come because there's a lot of people afraid to even come out before COVID, (laughs) you know, and they didn't, um, or they were doing the chronically late or other better opportunities, whatever, were presenting themselves and they thought they were going to make it, but they didn't. And so, it, interestingly, a re- real regular following of meditation every week and, and people having a chance to do that has, has really kind of forced us to pay attention to these things individually and, um, and then look around and say, do I really want to engage in this? Do I really want to go to this particular store or would I rather go to that particular store or have someone else get my groceries or order them or what have you? Just being mindful of what we're trying to work with is the is, is really the hardest part or the first part. But um, yeah, going, going that route has been a lifesaver to have had that experience before this happened. So it has been, um, it hasn't been as, I think, detrimental personally in, in that respect. Um, but the hard part is, is having the sensitivity of watching it happen to other people and to feel what that feels like to everyone else around me is very difficult. And I've had to do the, I haven't really watched much TV for probably five years. And so, um, so I really I pick and choose what I engage in, what I watch for a reason. So the news was already off my radar. (laughs) So I already knew better because I thought, Oh, this is really going to go bad. (laughs) So, um, But trying to help other people understand that and teach them how important it is for them to, they do have a choice. You don't have to have your TV on all day. Um, Just because you've always done that, you can turn that off. And um, that's been a huge one, I would say for sure, for most people. Once they've shut that off, even my mom (laughs) has done this thing where, I don't understand why I'm so anxious. And she lives in the middle of the woods, like in the country. (laughs) And I went, "Mm, your TV's on all day and it's just news about all this catastrophe. How about if you shut it off and it's just running in the background, so just turn it off. And she, a few days later, goes, this is great. I feel really good. And I went, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and, and, Joe, if I could jump in really quickly, one, yeah, one more thing about mindfulness that really occurs to me is that practicing mindfulness while you're taking good care of yourself, and I'm talking about everything from washing your hands to eating good food, when you really become present in the moment, you realize just how much better you feel in the first place. And we need to, I hope that one thing this, this coronavirus does for everyone is teaches everyone to take better care of themselves in the absence of any th- pandemic threat. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's just, you know, support our immune system with good, you know, nutrition and uh-huh. exercise uh-huh. and washing. I'm a rabid hand washer anyway. I always have been. <laughs> I, I'm just short of a germaphobe. I'm not quite there, but sure. I, I just, I always like to have clean hands, right? right? But one of the first times I remember being mindful outside of actually meditating practice is washing my hands and I just remember how the water felt and and how clean my hands were becoming Mm -hmm. and just doing that I think it enhances your life in general especially in each present moment that that that's all we have Mm -hmm. but being mindful just really enhances every every avenue that you take in order to be a healthier person and to me it just it, it boosts everything for me yeah. And so I just, I also really like being mindful of taking care of myself. And I would like for more people to really grasp onto that concept because it's, it's, it does wonders for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, I, I use the analogy a lot, especially in dealing with this and with the, without touching on the political part of it, but like everything going on with the, with the black lives matter and all this chaos that's going on with that. <clears throat> but the analogy of the baseball player and when the game starts slowing down for them. Um, When I meditate and I purposely start all my meditations, which are usually like a long hike, an intense hike, I start them with some really insane, like suicidal tendencies or what, you know, some black flags, some crazy heavy music. And it sounds odd to people that I can meditate through that. But there's there's a point to where it becomes noise. It becomes background noise, and I'm able to find my spot within it, and then I can come out into the real world. And one thing I'm really trying to practice is letting people be where they're at, even if that if they're afraid, um, if they want help, I can help them. But it's not my job to save them or make them unafraid. Maybe their fear is what's going to. Teach them how to get rid of their fear, you know? And so when I do my work, like you said, take James, take care of myself in all other respects, I can walk out into the world and the game slows down for me. You know, I can I can function at a very high level, very efficiently through and navigate situations that people go, damn, dude, how'd you get through that without losing your mind? You know, now I have to preface that by saying, watch me untangle some Christmas lights and you'll see what pure fury looks like. But I mean, I can navigate things, you know, and it, and I owe it all to just putting the time in ahead of time and, and getting right with me. And then I can walk out in the world. You know, um, I got a couple quotes here, one of which I it hit me uh, when I read this. And it's by Andre Guide, an author and Nobel Prize winner. He says, there are very few monsters who warrant the fear we have of them. That one hit me kind of heavy, you know, and it, it, you know, I've heard it said other ways. 85% of what you're afraid of never happens anyways. I've heard that one said. Um, another one, Mahatma Gandhi said, the enemy is fear. We think it is hate, but it is fear. He has another one that was really cool. There would be nothing to frighten you if you refused to be afraid. And the reason I love that one is because of just what I just said, um, I, I go, I make sure I put in the work ahead of time. And like I said, the game slows down to me and I just refuse to be afraid in those situations, you know, and it's not even like I'm fighting the fear. It's just, I'm placed in a place of neutrality and I just move through whatever I need to move through, you know, and it's not a, it's not a right or wrong, scared or not scared thing. Um, I was talking to the ladies before we got started. I had an amazing <clears throat> I've known for months that we were going to do this topic cast and it was going to be on fear. And I'm like it got to to the last few days and I'm like okay how am I going to start it? I know these people I'm having on are intelligent, witty, they got lots to say and they're 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 really fountains of information but how am I going to get the conversation started? How is it going to start? You know, so I was a little afraid of how to start, you know, but I left it to the universe and the universe is perfect. So I met my grandson's baseball game last night. And he, he told me a few weekends ago at a barbecue, we were playing wiffle ball and he goes, Papa, I can't hit the ball. I can catch and I can throw really good, but I can't hit at all. And I'm like, well, oh, just, Relax, just get in there and relax. And we started, he started having fun playing wiffle ball and he was crushing the ball. Well, last night <clears throat> we're at the game and there's relatives and people yelling, Go get him, go get him, buddy. You got this, do this, you know, just stay in there. And everybody had advice for him as he's walking up. And I can just see the, the color draining out of his face as he's walking up to home plate. And he gets up there and he strikes out. And which isn't, he struck, he struck out last, last week too, but this week something hit him. And when he got done striking out, it's going to get me. He started walking back to the dugout and he ducked his head and held his over his eyes and started crying. And it, he was crushed and it, he wasn't crushed because he struck out. He was crushed because he felt like he let everybody down is what it was. And, so he come back in, and everybody gave him words of encouragement and loved on him and everything. Couple innings go by, game's going good. His team loads the bases up, and guess who's up? He has to go up there with bases loaded, two outs, <laughs> and he's sitting on the he's sitting on the bench. And his mom gave him complete options. She was so sweet. She said, "If you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this." And he, he looked up and he said, I'm going to do it. And he got up there and he went and he struck out again. But he walked back to the dugout with his head up and he, he, he fought through it. And I was like, man, I remember being that scared as a child. And I remember different instances. I've got <laughs> I've got some amusement park fears that happened to me as a child and I will not ride amusement park rides to this day, you know, but watching him go through that, he could have very easily said, no, mama, I'm done, you know, and just been scared. And he wasn't, you know, and uh, there's times (laughs) I wish I had that, you know? So, and he, he, he's not going to quit. He's going to, he's got a game Thursday. He's going to go back and play again, you know? And so Liz, since we're on the topic of sports in your boxing career, how much of a hurdle was that? Um, were there instances where you were, I don't know, maybe afraid of an opponent or, or just af- afraid in general to compete or afraid that you weren't good enough or anything like that? Was there that present? All, was there-
3: all of it, all of the above. Um, I think back to the caveman reference, we're supposed to be afraid of somebody hitting us in the face, (laughs) but yet I let them pay me to do it, right? (laughs) Uh, So from my perspective, I've been my second opponent ever. Um, Trisha Hill, we fought at the Roxy in Atlanta, Georgia and i was so desperate for opponents of course i should have been having tune-up fights real like local girls but they didn't exist so i was like yeah i'll take the fight so the phone call i get a week before well liz she breathes and she bleeds but that i don't know what else to tell you like i took one look at her in the weigh-ins and i lost the fight i lost the fight the day before at the weigh-ins because She had the classic square jaw. We won't get into the whole steroid story, Um, but you know, I had taken the fight. And so then the next level of fear comes is okay. I think my defense is pretty good. I don't think she's going to kill me. Well, she hit like a Mack truck. So after you get hit by somebody the first time, then you kind of do your evaluation and you say, well, you know, I have a choice. I can either take a couple good shots and they're going to stop the fight and I can go home, but be ashamed. And in Liz's world, feeling shame is more terrifying than getting the shit kicked out of me. (laughs) So I fought and it was actually a split decision and it ended up being a good fight, but there was that moment. I remember very clearly that moment and it, it taught me so much for the whole rest of my career. First of all, it doesn't matter who you're across from, you have to fight. That's what you're here to do. It doesn't matter who you're fighting, okay? So that was one thing. And the second part of it was just, what are you gonna do? Are you going to do your best? And whatever your best is, you're not going to let anybody beat you. You're not going to lose, you're just going to have to get beat. So in other words, if I'm going to lose a fight, you beat me. I put my 100% into it. And again, the fear of failure, like your grandson, that's, I mean, that, that's a nightmare or your nephew, sorry. Um, Fear of failure is huge. And I can remember after fights, you know, crying myself to sleep with a bottle of tequila because you feel like you let everybody down. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. But the first thing that I had to realize was, I have a choice. I'm either going to do my absolute best to be better and to beat them, or I'm going to be ashamed of myself. I was never ashamed of my performance. I was feeling bad that I let people down, but I was never ashamed of a performance.
1: That's an awesome story. I, uh, <clears throat> there's a book, I'm sure some of you guys have read it, Who Moved My Cheese?, I can't remember who the author yeah. is. We had to read it for a uh, lean manufacturing certification at a, at a plant I worked in. And the uh, only thing I can remember from it is one line. And this one mouse looks at the other mouse and says, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I use that all the time now. And, it, and it's a hard question to answer. It's an easy question to answer, but a hard question to follow with action. You know, um, like like you said, I love the way you said that, Liz, that I lost the fight the day before. You know, I, I, I can look back on my life. So many different instances where I lost the fight the day before. And it was because I was so afraid of um, looking bad or not looking good or. Um, just being embarrassed or ashamed, you know. Um, one of my carnival stories, when I was a small child, my mom and dad took me to a, a carnival, and my, <laughs> my mom got me in a car next year. I was a little bitty thing, and I was tucked up underneath her arm, and we went right into this little car through the funhouse. And it scared the bejesus out of me, so bad that I tucked my head up underneath my mom's arm, scared to death. And then I can just remember those doors opening, And we dumped out into the carnival fairway there, and everybody, it probably wasn't everybody, but in my mind, it was just like in a movie where it's all distorted and everybody's going, you know, and I'm going, oh no, you know, I'm so, you know, and it was, I, I was scared because of that. But then afterwards, that added a little nugget to I'm afraid of carnival rides now. You know, then I had a bad experience on a carnival ride, which, actually made things worse, so now I won't write on them. So maybe I'll I'll, I'll get over that someday. But in, in everyday life, say like Sheila, when you're dealing with families and stuff like that, do you see a lot of that where it's a, a, almost a give up situation where somebody gives up and you can see that, that they're just giving up because they're scared of the outcome. Do you see that?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, it, you know, and be it parents that that feel that way, um, be it the kids, um, be it my own employees. Quite <laughs> frankly, um, you know, and my and myself. I mean, you guys. That's, I mean, absolutely the truth. the The choice is what makes the difference. the The thing is, is that if we're already kind of down and not taking care of ourselves, kind of like we've all been saying, if we're not taking care of ourselves to kind of stay in the in the zone. Then, then we're gonna be, fall down enough to where those those times get us. And um, and being able to make the choice to not stay in the fear and to actually be able to to choose something else or to look at it from a slightly different perspective can can be enough to to kind of help us up a little bit. Vibrationally, from an energetic perspective, um, you know shame, fear, um, guilt, those kinds of things are, the, are at the very, very bottom of our energetic resonance. So those are the lowest places that we can be. And um, and that, that dumps us off into depressions and anxieties and other things that, that result from that. So um, absolutely, you you, get, you can see it on somebody's face. And, and we know what it feels like because we have these experiences ourselves. But um, like what you described, Liz, um, you just know that you just, you just quit ahead and and it's already over. Um, And so then it's just a matter of what is this going to end up looking like really? And then we grasp at the, um, trying to our head and our ego pops in to try to protect us and, and say, Oh my God, I better try to come up with some way to save face or not look, you know, this way, or maybe I'm going to just change my perspective enough to not feel as bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it really boils down to the choice. But yes, you can see that on somebody's face when it's, when, it, when they've quit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, <clears throat> the guys that I mentor and stuff like that, we 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 have a ongoing conversation. That's one of the, when we talk on the phone, we talk regularly. And one of the first questions I ask him is, what are you afraid of today? And um, a lot of times it starts with, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know, but then they'll go on and tell me about where they got angry or where they were sad or where they were something else. And in just my studies that I have found is that everything negative can be traced back to a fear. It's either I'm afraid I'm not going to get something I want or I'm afraid I'm going to lose something I already have. And fear, it's not okay to show fear. You know, we, we've we already discussed that, you know, it's... it's um, especially us guys, James, you know, my, my old man, if I came home and told my old man, I was afraid of the kid up the street. I was going to be up standing toe to toe with the kid up the street when my dad's standing behind me, you know? Um, so the way I, I, I work with my guys and we talk about how fear is like a whack-a-mole, you know, when I suppress fear, it's going to pop up as an anger or a jealousy or something. It's going to, it's going to come somewhere else. It, and it's going to look nothing like what fear looks like, but it's going to pop up in another area. Um, James, working in mental health field, like as you do, is I know, I know fear is prevalent all over in that, but do you see cases where you personally can see that it's, that it's fear-based or, or that, or that somebody has like, like we talked with, with Sheila about how somebody has almost just given up and said, this is who I am. I'm, you know, I'm filling the gaps here, you know? Um, but you can see that it's absolutely fear. Is there, do you see that
0: in in your field? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the, the best tools in, in this field as probably as a person in general is by using empathy. You know, and so I try to personalize as much of another person's experience as I can so that I can connect with that person and find the best way to help. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the fear, I mean, you you can run the, the gamut of different things that cause the fear and a lot of fear of failure, um, fear of failure in relationships. I can relate to mm-hmm. because I had a fear of failing in a relationship. I kept myself out of a lot of probably a lot of good things. I, I missed a lot of good opportunities in my life because of that fear, mm. you know, fear has a, it has a, a contracting mechanism for a lot of people. It can be expansive too, in the way, if you're a boxer and you're afraid of that person in front of you, you decide that you're just going to go out and punch them in the face and make them beat you. That can be an expansive reaction to fear. But a lot of times fear is it contracts us. Like if, if you're in the forest and there is a, a bear, what are you supposed to do? If, he, if he's trying to attack you, you're supposed to get down in the fetal position, make yourself as small as possible. Hmm. Um, that is, I know I'm going to run, I'm going to uh, run and uh, take my chances. It's <laughs> like being quicker than oh, the bear, right. but, um, <laughs> my, my fight or flight or freeze, I, I hope that I run in that case. But at any rate, that's, that's yeah. what they say. And, but fear has that effect on us psychologically too. It causes us oftentimes to contract. And because uh, I have a fear of failure, whether it's in a relationship or maybe a job, maybe I feel like I'm just going to blow this interview And so I don't even try because of that fear causes me, that fear causes me to lose out on a a possible huge opportunity. Uh, And those are some some obvious examples, but it happens in everyday life. It happens because uh, one of our clients might, they might have a fear of disappointing someone, which, or they might have a fear. I'm I'm working with uh, one in particular right now who has a great social anxiety. And that social anxiety is, it is fed by and coupled with, a fear of uh, embarrassment. He's afraid that he's going to embarrass himself to such an extent that it cripples him. It, it causes him paralyzing anxiety in social in a social context. And it, it comes back to the fear that people around him are going to make fun of him. And he, he doesn't know how he's going to handle that. And it it must be a crippling way to live life. And so he's contracted by that. He's made smaller by that. He's put in this little bitty shell and he can't respond like maybe you or I would, um, which I have suffered also from some social anxiety in my past. Um, I've worked on mitigating such things uh, by uh, taking a more expansive approach and facing my fears and things like that. But yeah, I see a lot of fear and a lot of the fear is also trauma-based. You know, when there's a traumatic event in someone's life, then that trauma will cause that person to relive that, that circumstance time and time again. And so the fear that happened when the trauma first took place, whether it's abuse or an accident or war or what have you, you know, the fear continues to visit that person. And it's just as real today as it was five, ten years ago, however long it was that the actual event happened. And so we see a lot of fear based on trauma as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a tough one. It's a tough one to to deal with because there's a lot of unraveling of a person's, you know, their psyche and their experience that we have to try and and mitigate through the long, long process.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um,
1: as far as which (laughs) the trauma that you spoke of, it brings me to. Phobias. Um, Webster says phobia is an extreme irrational fear of or aversion to something specific to an item or activity and usually related to a trauma. When you said trauma, that's what made me look to that. Um, I, I can't remember if I read this somewhere or I heard it in a lecture. But they they were trying to describe the physiological effects of fear slash stress on the body. And they used the roller coaster versus the car accident. So a roller coaster, like if you put me on a roller coaster, it's going to be completely fear based stress. Okay. Um, I have friends who absolutely love roller coasters but they it scares the shit out of them while they're on them. And that's what they love. And from what this this lecturer or this author, the point he was he was trying to get across was that physiologically and maybe Sheila, you can touch on the energy parts of it. Our body doesn't know the difference between happy stress and danger stress. It still has the same effects. The heart rate still does the same. The The hormone dumps still the same way, um, still hits the body the same. Um, is is that true of the energies too, Sheila?
2: You know, the, the energy part's based a little more on the, on the level of truth in terms of your own inner truth. So, you know, so while there can be a physiological reaction that's the same, Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that the energetic component of that's the same. Um, So, you know, I'm trying to think, there's been some really good examples in terms of fear-based and connection to our egos being a protection for us, um, being afraid of the bear. Um, But yet, at the same token, if you've never experienced a traumatic event with a bear, but yet you still have this phobia of bears you know, there's, there's no like logical connection there. And so, you know, so you go on into this, it's, it, but it's, it's a mental feeding of that fear, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like this cycle that, that you're stuck in. And, um, it's almost like a skipping record or something where it just, you can't quite come off of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it takes, like James said, it, it's a lot of unraveling to, to get it down to and, and, and deal with what is at the core of what that is. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, Joe the fear can materialize and, and look like something else than what it really is being afraid of. Mm-hmm. Similar to you're, you're having a fight with your significant other over the coffee, but in reality, you're still pissed from two days ago you know, about something completely different. Yeah. So those things pop up differently, but it takes some exploring to figure it out. But, um, you know, that, that part it is basically from the energetic component is a bit different in terms of um, where it's truly coming from is Mm -hmm. what, I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So in, I found it odd that in Webster's dictionary, they uh, Webster or whoever did it, Merriam Webster or whoever included in there, profound reverence and awe especially towards god um god with a little g whatever god that may be for you you know um so that made me do a little (laughs) a little research into that part of it um i i have some some context on the subject uh i have family that are ministers and um grew up around a religion as as a lot of us have and i'm not trying to get too far into the 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 god talk but um i know i always had problem growing up with that if i'm living correctly i am afraid of god um and that's a big statement for me and that's a, that's always been a stumbling block for me so i i found a few quotes um and I and I talked to a friend of a different faith but this this is I'll start with out of the Bible um without getting too bibley um in Exodus 117 says Pharaoh brought disaster on his nation because he did not fear God. Uh, Old Testament stuff you know um but then in the New Testament Matthew ten twenty eight says, and Paul says, to work towards complete holiness, we fear God. And I don't know if if it's in translation, the word fear there throws me that they use it in that context. Um, but I asked a friend of mine who who's actually Hindu wh- how it's present in there because I had heard that they they also you know use that. The fear of God. Um, and to, to loosely quote him, he said, we Hindus fear our gods because our gods are very strict and true like our parents. Um, and he, he gave me a Hindu saying that uh, his, one of his relatives uses. It says, a man who wants to live in the path of Dharma should either have bhakti, which is devotion, or bayam, which is fear towards God. Anyone with either devotion to God or fear of God will lead him to live in a righteous way. Um, I still don't grasp that completely. Um, Cause that's not how it's present for me. Um, James, are you spiritually inclined? Do you have any input on on the fear of God.
0: Well, I also grew up uh, in religious uh, religious family, and the the fear of God in that sense is to me, in the way that I was taught, is just it's a it's a reverence that's that's higher than any other reverence that you could give anything else. Basically, it, it, you, you revere it. You revere him however you want to look at it so much that it it is parallel to fear and i think you know that's why the translation ended up being fear because it's there was no other maybe no other way to put how much you should reverence you uh-huh. know that that higher being mm-hmm. and you know if you want to get out of the context of just the you know the christian judeo sense of yeah, it absolutely. just talking even about the universe to revere the universe um, like your Hindu friend, um, either your friend said it, was another quote. I forget, but just the fact that the the uh, that that God is is he's strict, right? He or she or it, whatever is strict, and the the universe is strict, right? Try try to change the weather, you know. Try to try to shrink a mountain. Try to move a mountain by by your bare hands. Um, try to try to keep the sun from rising tomorrow. You know, these things are going to happen whether or not I want them to or not. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's apparent to me that I can either reverence it or I can continue to fight against something that I have no power, no control over. And to me, that's, that's kind of what that, what that's leading to. And I think just to, just to make sure we broaden the context for anyone, any, any religion or practice or spiritual you know, bearing that you might have, I think that that reverence, I think it means something for, for things that are greater than us. Mm -hmm. Because whether or not, I mean, even I believe that even atheists, I think they have a good understanding that the universe is greater than what we are, even though we're a part of it, you know, and we could get into that talk as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how all of you feel like that we are, you know, what what cog we are in the universe. Um, But that that being said, I I don't I can be a part of the universe, the universe, but I cannot overcome the universe. Mm -hmm. You know, and to me, that causes me reverence when I look up at the stars at night or when I look at a mountain peak or when I look at the ocean, which I love the ocean. It, it I, I, I revere the ocean. I have such a great reverence for it. And it causes me an inner peace that, you know, I realize that it's more powerful than what I could ever be. Mm-hmm. And and so to the God that you, that you aspire to, the, the one that you look to, I think that you have to reverence it or else you're fighting against something that you are going to. You, maybe you should fear because you will ultimately lose. That's mm-hmm. my interpretation of that mm-hmm. that uh, translation of fear. Send all emails to James Wade. <laughs> <laughs> right. No hate, no hate emails, please. If I said something wrong, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. <laughs> uh,
1: I didn't mean to say it on the bus like that. Liz, um,
0: does does
1: does fear play a role in? Any spiritual practices that you have, or is it present? Or, um...
3: I don't think it does. Um, I consider myself a kindergartner spiritually, but I can really um, relate this reverence. I love that word. Um, all of my years training horses—you know how people say horses can smell fear. Well, they can. It's your physiological. Mm. If you're telling me that a dog can sniff out cancer and diabetes, then yeah, a horse knows when you're scared. But every horse trainer worth his salt or her salt will tell you that they're scared. I am about to get on a 1,200-pound animal, and I did this for 20 years, that has never been ridden before, and I'm talking about the young ones. Okay, so... This is complete raw material. We spend those years of experience training our bodies to lie. Okay? You can, with enough experience and enough good coaching and enough work, train your body that physiologically it does not show the fear response. I don't think if I hadn't had all those years training horses, that I ever could have been a professional boxer because I trained my body to lie and to function and to do what I told it no matter what was going on internally. But I was still scared. And then the other part of that job was kind of tying in with the trauma that we were talking about. Um, I had to teach women to ride horses and I do 90% women, okay? And many of them had had a traumatic experience So I was completely untrained and I wish that I, you know, they don't, they don't pay horse trainers and riding instructors enough to go get psychotherapy degrees, but I needed one. Uh I mean, I was dealing with a lot of trauma and a lot of fear. And, um, again, what James was saying about empathy, um, because I couldn't relate to their irrational fear or phobia of the horse. I definitely have a proper reverence for the horse because, yeah, it's greater than me. It can kill me. Um, but so I, I'm kind of making a loop here, mm-hmm. but I, do, I understand the physiological response and how that is innate. I mean, that's human nature, but it can be trained. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's all I've got on that subject.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, something that came to mind in my meditation today when I I was thinking about this was, I don't know if this was a healthy fear or not, but I can remember my old man. And it only took a couple ass whoopings for me to have this thing ingrained back here. That every time I was getting ready to do something I shouldn't do, I thought about what my old man was going to do, and I'll tell you to this day, if he was still alive, I'd still be afraid of him. And he loved me. He loved me so much. He would never do anything to purposely hurt me, but if I messed up, <laughs> I, I'd need to be afraid, be very afraid. And uh, I, and I grew up in a in a neighborhood where. <clears throat> these days are gone. Believe me, where if I got in trouble at the top of the street, I would get my butt whooped five times before I even got home by my (laughs) friends, moms and everybody, you know, we were that tight, we were all that tight. And, uh, so that, that brought me to think about how people use fear in a negative way, but for their benefit. Um, you know we can call it bullying or whatever um i i'm i'm not on board with all the the bullying love that's that's going around right now you know the the anti-bullying stuff like that i mean some of it's this is just my my take um you know i we had a bully when i was a kid he rode our bus And he had a glass eye and he was, he red hair and the meanest little son of a gun for a hundred miles. And he would pull his glass eye out and he would scare the little girls with it on the bus. And, and they would hide and cower. And, and it was just like that kid. Every time I watch a Christmas story, the redheaded kid that the bullies, I see him and, and it's and he got on the bus one day and he pulled that eye out and went down, scaring everybody and punching people and doing his thing. And I'd had enough. And, but I was scared. I was scared beyond scared because this was the scariest dude around. And I just beat the snot out of him, just beat the living snot out of him. And, uh, I've hated bullies ever since then. So here I am back at this word bullies, Um, and, if, if you take the, that red, I'm, nothing against genders, I'm just saying this stereotype of this small child <clears throat> bullying, you, you take that picture away. I can, pu- I can put that same mentality. I've had bosses that led that way. They led by fear. Um, I've had coworkers who <laughs> are that way. I've had friends. I've had bandmates. Um, I've watched parents parent. My dad was one of them. Fear was a great tool for him, you know? Um, And Sheila, I know you work with families. Do you see fear used in that context um, as, as a tool almost I'll call it a tool.
2: Yeah, Um, Sure. Sure. And, and I think um, even from a a broader perspective of what you're talking about, um, the thing is, is we've been, we've been taught to, to, to have the fear in those ways. And then it becomes a very easy mechanism to be controlled by. And it also becomes an easy mechanism to control others with it. So when we start talking family, parents, and their use of that fear, some of that is deep-rooted from from their own fears, obviously, of being concerned about what's going to happen to the welfare of my kid, be it um, concerned about the fact that They're a girl and they're going to be living in this particular environment or they're of a certain culture and they're going to live in this environment and it feels very unsafe. So, um, you know, there's some elements of that. And James, the, the word reverence with the fear component with God, for example, is exactly the same thing that I, that resonates with me on that component for sure. And, um, and I think about how we connect to people about that and, Liz with your gym members and trying to connect to how people are with being afraid to come and work out or to do something different out of the ordinary. But families and and parents will do that because that's all they know. And that's what they think that is going to be the best way to do it. And it's a way to control. Um, I have, when you were talking a ago about that kid on the bus, I have this, I have this analogy and a story sort of from growing up myself with, um, being involved in sports my whole entire life. I mean, I've played softball since I was four and um, started playing soccer later into, you know, as I was growing up into middle school. And, and I remember as we got older and, and there were teams and there, there was initiations into certain teams or groups for whatever, what have you. And I will just never, ever forget being like the new person, the underclassman, the whatever on a team. And, the initiation factor of certain teams and the way that they did that. Some were really funny and they were just kind of cute little welcome to the club kind of business. And then there were things that got way out of hand. And and I'll never forget thinking, why do people do that? And then the shocker to me was when I became an upperclassman or I was associated with people that then became the upperclassmen, I couldn't get over how many of them wanted to do bad or worse to the underclassmen. And I, <laughs> I went, wait a minute, you're the one that hated that. <laughs> and and I thought that was bizarre to me, but truly it was an element of that, that fear-based of the shame that was it probably occurred to them at that moment. And they just decided to share it on and carry it on like a bully would do.
1: Wow. Wow. So we've touched on mass hysteria, fear, uh, what are some tools? I, I know we touched on meditation and stuff like that, but just to round this out and give the, the positive light. One thing that I've seen, uh, we touched on the COVID and, and what it's done to us and the fear that's just rampant and stuff like that. And I talked about everything slowing down. And one of the things that's everything slowing down has has allowed me is... I've stopped noticing as much fear if that makes sense and I started seeing people taking like like Liz like you were talking about taking finding new opportunities and you Sheila with with your energy uh, meditations and stuff like that in your groups people I can tell people who aren't afraid because they're using this and finding new opportunities whether they're stumbling upon them or whatever and they're redirecting their energies away from being afraid and and finding new opportunities and new ways to help people and um <clears throat> i know like i'll equate it to a prepper you know if if i feel like i'm in a situation where i have to be a doomsday prepper i'm taking care of mine and i don't care about you you take care of you i'm going to take care of me and mine and but what i'm seeing is when i when i take care of myself and get You know, practice mindfulness in my life is I start seeing all those other people out there who are in the middle of all this doing stuff for other people. You know, I was taught that the only counteraction for fear is love, is to go out and show love. The guys I mentor, I tell them if you're afraid, if you have a fear today, set it to the side for a minute and go find somebody to show love to. Go buy somebody a flower, go buy, take somebody to lunch, go visit a relative, go do something, show love to a random person. And without exception, they all come back and say, I'm not afraid of that anymore, or at least for a little bit, that fear disappeared and dissipated. Um, so, James, what are, I know you already discussed the, the meditation, what are some specifics that you, you practice to, to dispel fear in your life?
0: I would say probably the biggest thing that I do now is just assessing calculated risk. You know, I, it's to analyze a situation, I guess you could use just analysis as well. Um, What is the worst possible thing that could happen, but I don't stop there. I also ask what's the best possible thing that could happen. And so I, I don't, Liz, if, if I got in a ring with Mike Tyson um, well, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Even though the reward would be so great. If I could actually knock that man out, um, I would be like King dog for a long time. People would talk about James Wade, but I assess that risk and I know that the, the, the odds are too great. So I'm not going to take that risk. Um, if I did see him, there would be a certain amount of fear that I'm just going to have to let go. I'm going to have to mitigate that just by turning the other way. But there are a lot of things in life that I've learned, and I haven't always been this way. I've had some opportunities, like I mentioned before, in my life that I really, I really dropped the ball, literally. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, I was a pretty good basketball player, so I went out for the freshman team. And it was a pretty good team, but I was up there in the top, you know, couple two or three players at least. And um, I had this fear of of always getting in trouble, and I, I was shy and I was timid. And so the, my mom was late picking me up. This was before I was driving, of course. And because she was late, the coach had kind of gotten onto me a couple times. And because of that, I quit the basketball team. And I lied to my dad ever since because I could not face him to let him know that really it was fear that caused me. I told him I got cut. And he found that unbelievable, which it, it was. Um, I was pretty decent. But because of the fear, I missed the opportunity of playing basketball in my freshman year. And so I didn't always calculate the risk like I do now. Here I am 42 years old. And as a freshman in high school, that experience still is with me. You know, it still affects me when I think about it. It it, it was kind of traumatizing to me. To It was a self-inflicted trauma. And so now I try to assess calculating. You know, I calculate the risk as much as possible. And if the odds are great, but the risk is worth it. If I, if I think even if I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail, um, I don't let fear stand in my way. I go ahead because the life is the, it's about the journey, right? Not the destination. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a whole lot of things that I can learn along the way. And I, I just let perspective overall kind of be my guide. And I try to, you know, fear still has its utility it's there for a reason if i'm not afraid of an oncoming diesel truck coming my way chances are i'm not going to make it right so i need to have that fear but i need to calculate my, my next steps, as long as I have the chance. Now, if there's a, if there's a bear in the woods, I don't have time to calculate. I got to run or get in a fetal position one way or, or I'm going to be bear food. I'm going to be a snack. And that's, that is what it is. But as long as I have a chance to, to really kind of think about things, analyze it, I, I try to calculate that risk and I make my steps accordingly. Right on. Liz, what tools do you use to combat fear?
3: Well, first I give myself some good old endorphins and, uh, I exercise a couple hours a day, do yoga. Um, because when I take care of myself physically, I'm in the moment and that grounds me. Um, I would say that I probably need a little calculated risk assessment in my life because I kind of have a tendency to go for it. And, um, just, I believe in love. And I just, my brother and I were having a, not an argument, but a discussion the other day. And he says to me, well, you always have been like that. You just follow your heart. I'm like, Okay. Yeah, I do. And I want to, mm-hmm. and does it get stomped and hurt? And do I, you know, lose sometimes? Yeah. But to me, I still feel like it's worth it. Um, I used this quarantine as kind of a spiritual boot camp time. I was lucky enough to my business did survive so far. And um and so yeah, I felt a lot stronger. I don't want to say like Joe, you were saying armor. I don't feel like it's armor, but I kind of envision like a protective bubble around myself mm-hmm. that I just kind of have now. Um I still have to do my homework, but it, it feels pretty good. It feels like I'm safe from um, all of the chaos. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's me.
1: That's awesome. What about you, Sheila?
2: Yeah. The, the protective bubble is, is absolutely my, my thing. Like I've been lucky enough to be able to do that probably all my life to an extent to, to, to create that, that space. But, um, but I've learned that 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 balance component for me was to do some more physical work. Um, because I can be very introspective. So for me, I'm a, I'm a big journaler. And, um, and so that's important to get my busy brain to stop <laughs> and slow down because it'll just overgo and overdo. So um, so for me, it's, it's been a balancing act, it's, um, you know, which creates that bubble. I'll do stretching, qigong, um, a, very, a lot of body awareness, paying attention to what my body's telling me I need to eat. Um, when I need to drink more water... Um, you know, how to take care of myself. Um, And then when I'm not really on board with it, I can feel that and I can tell. So, um, yeah, those kinds of things are um, are what helps me keep pretty balanced. And then at least I can get an opportunity to feel whether I'm feeling fear and then hopefully make a different choice if I need to.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest one for me, um, and I've I've probably – really settled in on this one over the last two, maybe three years is um, silence. Um, I'm always going. I'm always talking. I'm always busy. There's always music going. There's always a TV. There's always something. And there's really something for, it it takes something for me to shut everything off um, and sit. Um, i I had an old old friend a mentor who who was big about being able to sit with yourself you know and i I see a direct correlation between if I'm scared, if I have fear in my life and that that could be uh you know. Fear about losing a job or fear about relationship or fear about whatever, or fear on a global level or, or whatever, any type of fear, whatever is present in my life, I tend to get busy and I don't have time to shut everything off. I'll get it later. I'll get it later, you know? And those are the times I need it most. And, uh, but when I can shut everything down, what it boils down to, what I found is that I don't want to be by myself because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about that stuff. And sometimes there's such gold in when I do that, when I shut it all off, shut it all down and just sit there. It never lasts long. My mind runs like crazy for five or six minutes, but then minute, minute seven gets a little better. I think we lost James minute. Number eight gets a little better. Um, and then all of a sudden it just, I can see the fear, whatever it is for whatever it is, you know, and, uh, and then I'm okay. You know, I can, I, can, I can get up and I can go out and face whatever I need to face, you know. So this, the silence part of it's big for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think we beat the hell out of the topic of fear tonight. And uh, I want to thank you guys so much for doing this. I'm sorry if it was clunky and weird and all that kind of stuff. I'm learning how to be an interviewer and I'm learning how to do this stuff and I'm scared.
0: (laughs) I thought it was great. I I thought this was, this conversation flowed very well. I think as far as Zoom conversations have went, this was one of the best I've been a part of, to be honest with you. I had a great time. Wow. So, well, uh, since you did that, you get to give the first shameless
1: plug. What are you going to plug? What do you plug in here tonight, James?
0: Well, as always, I'm plugging the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Yeah. And the uh, Yeah, the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast Network, which we've expanded. You might know something about that, Joe, huh? with the, uh, the Crusher cast. If, if nobody has heard of that, uh, it's a thing. It's a very good thing. Um, ordinary people, extraordinary lives, and they tell great stories. And Um, We also have Raised on the Radio on the Podcast Network now, and uh, yeah, check out the podcast. We talk about everything from a lot of physical fitness, being in shape, uh, but everything else from, you know, besides fitness and nutrition, we talk about mental health, we talk about business. Of course, a lot of our talk has been about COVID for the past, you know, several, several weeks, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's an important topic, though, and there's a lot of ways to, to address it, and I think a lot of people need to. Uh, need to hear you know some of the guests that we bring on because we bring some some very sm- smart folks on and people that are out there experiencing small business in the face of you know the economic contraction and and the stifling that they're going through but yeah check out the cerebral entertainment podcast apple podcast stitcher wherever it it's all over the place and you can also check us out at the cepodcast.com thank you sir what yeah. about you
1: Liz what are you going to plug tonight i know uh-
3: I've got my gym, CDY Fitness, um, and in case anybody wonders, the C stands for Camacho. Louis Camacho is my boxing coach. The Y stands for Rong Yu, who is my martial arts instructor, so my two mentors on either side of me, the only reason I'm here. Um, we've got a pool. We've got a boxing program. We've got um, heavy enough weights for anybody I've ever met. And, um, it's just a really friendly place. Um, I know probably 90% of the members names and everybody in there just feels like a family. So that's us.
1: You got some warm yoga too, don't you?
3: Oh, we have infrared yoga. Yes. I forgot about that. We haven't started that back up yet because the room is small and we're keeping people distanced, Mm -hmm. but hopefully if things keep going well, August we'll start back with the infrared yoga. We have a sauna.
1: Awesome. Thanks Liz. What about you, Sheila?
2: Well, um, I have a couple of things going on that um, the easiest one is to start with is the the hearts um, is something that some other energy friends and I started about three going on about three years ago. And we've been just really blogging with that, which gets the creativity of journaling. And I have um, messages that come in to me that I kind of channel and, um, and share there. Um, so for what little bits that people are interested in those brief things to read, they're not long. Um, but they're, they're a nice opportunity to reflect and kind of get a flavor of what what's going on and what I'm talking about. Um, but I most recently did start my own website to do some energy coaching and healing and guidance, um, to work with folks I'm trained in. I've just recently been trained in a trauma healing modality for energy work, um, as well. And, um, and that is on shamanshack.com. And Sheila is spelled S-H-I-E-L-A. So it is the I before E except after C. my mom said so. (laughs) (laughs) So um, so you will only find me if you spell my name right. right.
1: Well, I'll get info from each and every one of you. I have most of you guys' info, uh, but I'll just double check with you guys. And then when we throw this up on the video version, we'll get it all in there. And then uh, I'll give links for all of you guys. And uh, once again, I just want to thank you guys for taking part and uh, making me feel like a champ here. So I'm not oh, scared yeah. no more.
3: <laughs> it was very comfortable and very relaxing. I appreciate it.
2: Cool. Yeah. Very, really awesome. Really awesome. Really nice to meet you guys too. So mm-hmm. super topic.
3: And yeah. Sheila, I've never met anybody else who does Qigong. So I love stuff. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it.
1: Change info so you can... I think Liz, I was telling Liz that I think that she would really enjoy some of your, some of your, uh, energy.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.
0: Thank you. See ya. Crusher cats.